So we've been in this series entitled Sacred Search, and we've been focusing on this promise that Jesus makes to us, and that's that he came so that we could experience a full, abundant, rich, and satisfying life. And that's Jesus' promise. It's the life that God desires for you and for me. So the question that we've been asking is this, what if your desire for a fulfilling life could be discovered through you going on a sacred search and going into a place of deeper relationship with God? What if that is the key to you being able to discover this full and rich and abundant and satisfying life that Jesus promises? And at Daybreak, that's exactly what we believe. And in fact, as a spiritual family, that's our mission. We say helping people discover and deepen a life-changing journey with Jesus because we've seen that the evidence of life change is really found in a deeper union with God. And I don't know how that plays out in your life, but I know it's been true in my own life. Some of you who know me may know that uh, the theme verse for this series, uh, John 10.10, is actually my life verse. And I spent a lot of time in in my life processing and thinking through that, that verse because it hit me in a very deep and meaningful way at one point in my life. It's not just my life verse because I read it one time, and I made some connection with it, and I said, that's a good verse, uh, you know, to put on my wall. It goes far deeper than that because I've lived it, and I continue to live it out. So when I was in college, I was at a place where I was at a crossroads where I had to make a decision as far as uh, my life was concerned about how I was going to obtain this full and abundant life that I wanted to go after. And the the short version of the story is, was it going to be my way of going after what I thought was going to be rich and satisfying, was, which truthfully involved a lot of success for me and uh, you know, a lot of resources and things like that? Or was I going to trust God's way? And I just knew, I just knew that if I surrendered to God and did things his way, it was going to involve me humbling myself and learning how to love and serve people. And I just, I was not ready to commit to that because I had my own picture of what my success in my life was going to look like. And so it was this, it was probably one of the most memorable, kind of tangible periods of struggle in my life where I knew that God was calling, my, calling me out on this. And I knew I had to make a decision of what was my life going to be about. And I can remember at one point, and I'm shortening a, a very long part of my journey. It wasn't this quick or this easy. But I can remember at one point sitting with this verse, sitting with this passage of Scripture, and God just saying to me in a very real way, Rick, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy your life. This picture of what you think is going to be abundant life, what you think is going to be a rich and satisfying life, if you go after that your way, all those things are just going to be robbed and, and, and stolen from you. But Jesus said, Rick, I want you to know this. I came so that you could experience a rich and satisfying life. I came so that you would know what abundant life looks like. And I have to tell you, uh, that's been my journey ever since I made that decision to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with that. I'm going to trust your way and not my way because my way is safer and I'm in control of it and I feel like I can influence it a whole lot more. But God says, I give you this choice. Are you going to experience abundant life through me or are you going to spend the rest of your life trying to find it yourself? Jesus offers us this alternative. And he said, that's why I came. The life, life to the fullest doesn't depend on you. Jesus said, life to the fullest, is, it's far bigger than you. It's found in a day-by-day relationship with me. Jesus came so that you and I could have this deeper union with God that will bring a spiritual abundance that's really not explainable. We don't understand it. We think we know all the ways to get to abundance and to get to a rich and satisfying life. But Jesus says, no, 
It comes in a relationship with me, and it's so, it springs from a deeper place than you can ever get to on your own. You can't find it on your own. You have to learn it through a dependence on me. And this has really struck me as we've been walking through this series and talking about what a rich and satisfying and abundant life looks like. See, you and I can't achieve the abundant life. We can only receive it. We can't achieve it on our own. We can't achieve a fulfilled life. We can only receive a fulfilled life. So this is my encouragement to you. If you're just tuning in for the first time this morning or if you've been processing this series along with us at Daybreak, stop trying to achieve what God wants you to receive. Stop trying to go after the abundant life on your own and just position yourself in such a way that you'll be able to receive what God has always wanted for you, what Jesus came so that you could have. And this brings us to our focus for today, our question for today. Am I experiencing all that God has for my life? Are you experiencing everything that God has for you? Jesus set some pretty high expectations of what God desires for your life, and he talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. He said this, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So let me paraphrase this. Jesus is basically saying, if you think you love your kids and you think you desire to do good for your kids in your sinful and imperfect state that you live in, how much more does God, our perfect and holy heavenly Father, want to give good gifts to you and to me as his kids? God wants you and I to have a rich and satisfying life, despite sometimes our suspicions to the contrary, right? Because we oftentimes, when our relationships or our work or our life isn't going according to the way that we planned. Remember, we're going after abundant life and a rich and satisfying life our way. And sometimes when everything isn't going the way that we planned it to, what do we do? Then we turn and we blame God, right? God, why is it that you're keeping me from having a rich and satisfying life? And God said, well, see, your way of getting there was never my plan in the first place. In those moments, God gives us the opportunity to say, hey, when our circumstances aren't going well, maybe we can recognize that our desire or our path to get to rich and satisfying doesn't look like his path, and he's got a different plan for us. I don't know if you ever sense this, but sometimes I feel like I'm too busy and exhausted trying to have a rich and satisfying life that I don't even have the energy to appreciate what God is actually doing in my life to try to lead me towards the rich and satisfying life that he has for me. There's a preacher and theologian named John Piper. Maybe you've read some of his books. He once wrote this. He said, God is at work doing good in 10,000 different ways in our lives, but usually we're only aware of two or three of them. Imagine if you were more aware of how God was at work in your life right now. Do you think you would experience a more rich and satisfying life if you were more aware and were willing to partner with the work that God is already doing, the good things that he's already doing in your life? I know when I'm aware of God's goodness, I definitely feel more fulfilled in life. And maybe the question that we should be asking is, how hungry are we? How hungry are you and I to rediscover God's goodness in our lives? How hungry are we today to know what God is actually doing in our lives right now so that we can join him in that work that he's doing to try to lead us towards a life of abundance? I think that if we look at people who may, maybe have known or people who we currently know, who have a deep union with God, we can see that they're people who are hungry to discover how God is at work in their life and join him in that work that he's doing in them, no matter what their circumstances are. That confidence in God's goodness is a source of spiritual abundance and fulfillment in people's lives who are genuinely seeking what God's, to partner with God in the work that he's doing for good 
in their lives. You know, it's been incredibly encouraging in this series for us to be able to uh, hear from different members of our church family, and we've heard from uh, both campuses, uh, people who have taken pause and discovered ways that they can experience God's abundance. This morning, we have the privilege of hearing from one of Good Hope Road's very own, Mark Shuey, star of the silver screen. I was giving him a hard time this morning earlier. Uh, Mark Shuey is going to share a few minutes of how he's learned how to take pause in his day and begin to reflect on how God's working in his life. Let's watch together. A little over 10 years ago, the challenges of life prompted me to take a more serious and intentional approach to developing spiritual disciplines that would draw me closer to God. And I don't exaggerate when I say that this was one of the best decisions of my life. In order to succeed, I wanted to think, what would work best for me? How did God wire me? How can this work? I'm a morning person, I get up ridiculously early, and, and I love to read. So I would use those quiet morning hours to get together with my Bible and pray. And I'd read my Bible in the past, but this time I read my Bible with an expectation and a purpose. And that purpose was to meet with God and to have him frame my day with his words. Now, I soon found that uh, reading the Bible in this fashion combined with prayer gave me a glimpse as to who God is and what is important to God. And I would read scripture with a purpose and that purpose would be to apply it to my life and my circumstances. And I found that my inside world was being reshaped to the point where I began to see God and his activity at work in my outside world. So by meeting with God in the morning, he would occupy my thoughts throughout the day. I walk around the house and I look at the places where I met with God all those mornings and continue to meet with God. Uh, the, the quiet kitchen and the, and the table where I sit and journal and read my Bible or the, the back room and that, that nice chair that I sit in and overlook the, the backyard. And I look at these places and for me these places are a personal holy ground because at that table and in that chair my life changed. All right, we're locked up, but that is a beautiful shot of Mark. <laughs> uh, we can bring the lights up, guys. Thank you. Oh, hey. Um, seems our video is freezing up this morning. That's nobody's fault in the back. Thank you guys for working hard on trying to get that going for us today. Listen, one of the things that I love about hearing from different members of our church family, and Mark's been an elder at our church for a long time, served many years in serving our church family, but what I love is his heart and his desire to know God and to meet with God and to understand God's purposes and desires for his life. And I know uh, as uh, that video wraps up, those places that Mark was talking about, those places that become holy places for him are places where he's come to know God in a deeper way and where he's benefited from understanding God's work in his life, where he's been able to assess, God, how are you at work in my life? How do you want me to join you? and partner in the work that you're doing. And so here's what I want to invite you to consider today. If you watch for God's work in your life, you're going to become confident of God's goodness for your life. And that's in your outline this morning. Watch for God's work in your life, and you'll become convinced of God's goodness for your life. That's a powerful statement. We're going to kind of unpack that as we see that in Scripture this morning. If I were to ask you this morning, uh, would any of you just come up on stage right now and tell us 
all the good ways that God is at work in your life. How many of you, if you were honest, you would say, I would immediately respond? And part of the reason you would immediately respond and come up is because you are living a rich and satisfying life. As a matter of fact, if someone described, asked you to describe your life right now, you would use the words rich and satisfying and fulfilled. You would use words like that because you know that you're living an abundant life. Some of you may be in that category where you would come right up. If I ask um, how many of you would come up this morning and share uh, how God is at work in your life, um, some of you would immediately be asking yourself, uh, how is God at work in my life? I haven't thought about that lately. And maybe you're in a season like that where you're aware that God's working, but you've not thought recently of how he's at work in or through your life. And many of you this morning might just be a little nauseous at the thought of me calling you up on stage at all. And so that would set you off completely, and I understand that as well. Listen, we're all guilty of in seasons of our life or at times in our life not paying attention to really knowing how God is at work in our lives. We all do that. Maybe today you feel like you're too busy. You're running from one event to the next. You're volunteering your time. You're changing diapers. You're playing taxi cab to, to your kids or, or whatever it might be in your life, and you find that it's all you can do to find time to grab a bite to eat in between all the things that you're doing. And so when you do have a moment to pause, you end up falling into your bed in exhaustion or crashing on your couch and soaking in a little bit of what you feel is well-needed television, that kind of thing. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you simply have your heads down this morning, and where you are in life, your, your focus is on all the problems and the struggles that you have. Maybe you're thinking about big deadlines that you have to meet in your life. Maybe you're thinking about the leak under your bathroom sink that you have not fixed for a year now, and the cabinet is starting to grow, you know, really soft, the wood there, from the water hitting over and over again. Maybe you're thinking about that. None of these are true in my life. I'm just giving random examples. Maybe you're thinking about the struggling middle schooler who just yesterday was your baby girl, and now all of a sudden they're in a whole different season of life. Maybe your life, your thoughts are consumed with your circumstances. You know, I think if we learned how to be more watchful of God's work in our lives, it would increase our confidence in God's goodness in our lives, and it would increase our confidence in God's goodness in the lives of those that we love as well. And it would lift our eyes from our circumstance, and it would help us get our gaze back on Jesus where it belongs. One of the things that actually I learned from Pastor Sean a few years ago is that it is really good whenever possible for me to take a half day or a full day retreat every month just to get away for prayer and for planning and to hear from God. And so um, in this past year of transition, I put this into practice, and I wanted to be very consistent with it. So for about the last year, I've been giving a full day a month um, to just getting away. And I usually take a couple of guys with me, uh, try to be strategic about that, who I think God might be leading me to invite along in that time. And I have to tell you, um, at first, powerful. At first, uh, this was a, a challenging practice for me to do because it always felt like, oh, there's not a day. Things are so full right now. If I give up a day to do that, where am I going to be? And, and I have to tell you that after a year of doing it, I would sacrifice a day a week if I felt like I were able to do it. Like if it were beneficial to those who also are around me, I would give a day a week because that time had become that critical for me. 
But I like to start each one of these days in a similar way. There are different exercises that we can do, but whoever's with me, I love to start by kind of taking a moment and getting a global perspective on our lives. Because if you're going to take a day and you're going to retreat and you're going to pause, it's good to just take a few minutes and reflect on, okay, where am I right now really in my life? Before I just rush into this retreat day, God, help me reflect on how I'm coming into this day and what I'm bringing into this day. So we take some time before the Lord, and I usually ask questions like this. What are the realities of my life right now? I'm caring for an aging parent. I have two kids in high school and one in college and one in middle school and a couple kids that are still in elementary school and one preschool. Like, these are realities in my life right now that I have to be processed and think about. These are the pieces that I bring. They're a part of, of, of what I bring. And then after a question like that, I'll often ask, what is my mind preoccupied with in this season, God? Help me understand. And I just write down some of the things that I find my, my mind is preoccupied with. Sometimes I ask the Lord, what am I feeling, God? consistently right now? Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling frustrated? Am I feeling tired and just worn out? What does my body feel other than old and gray and things like that? What am I feeling in this season? Lord? Like, what's my body experiencing in this season? I just try to get this viewpoint, this perspective of where I am. And then I take a few minutes and I look for some of the themes. How might God be speaking to me? What opportunities, what things might God have for me in this place where I find myself right now? And you know, everybody who I've done this with, who we've been on retreat with, they all say the same thing. And these are some pretty sharp people. They say things like this, I don't do this enough. I don't take enough time to consistently reflect on my life and know where I am right now and know what opportunities or how God might be speaking to me, what next steps he might have for my life. I just don't do it enough. So when I did this today, it helped me see that God is good and that he's present even in the tough things in my life. God is still working. He's still there. And do you know what happens when you become confident in God's goodness in your life? Do you know what happens when you really begin to sense that God is present even in the middle of all these things that I'm, I have my, my eyes fixed on right now? Circumstances can't steal your joy anymore. Harsh words can't crush your spirit. When you're aware of God's goodness, you, don't, you worry less about the future and you enjoy the present even more. When you believe in God's goodness to you, you're more able to be good to others. Sounds good. This morning, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to help us discover why that's true when we're able to understand how God is at work in our life. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning written by a guy named David who was very hungry to know God's goodness in his life. And David was a shepherd who became a warrior. He hungered for this rich and satisfying life in God. He writes about it all throughout the Psalms and at other places. He had a strong desire to fully trust God in his life. And God saw this potential in David, and God said, David, you're going to be the king of Israel. You know, we're fortunate that David was not only a strong and powerful warrior, but that he was also a renaissance man, okay? This is David. He was a king, he was a warrior, but maybe most importantly for us, David was a songwriter. And most of the psalms, or many of the psalms, were songs that were penned by David. Most likely... Um, this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 139. That's the number we gave this song of David. And most likely, he wrote this song soon after being appointed king. And if you understand David's story, you know that right after he was appointed king, this was a season where David was very aware of God's goodness, but he was pretty unsure about himself. And he's pretty honest about that in the songs that he wrote. He'd been on the run for years because the king who had preceded him, Saul, wanted to take his life. And so David felt like for years prior to him, 
becoming king that he was on the run. So God said that David would be king, but the odds were stacked against him, and he was well aware of his shortcomings. David asked questions like, would I be, will I be accepted? Will I be able to lead well? He needed God desperately during this time in his life. So on the verge of greatness and circumstances finally going David's way, David does something surprising. He pauses to consider how God is at work in his life. David takes this moment and he pauses and he writes this song. He pauses to express his desperate need for God to be his source of goodness. He says, God, I need you to be my abundance in life or I am going to fail miserably. You know, I find this response surprising because for most of us, when things start to go our way, we don't slow down. Usually that's a time in life when things start to go our way that we ramp up, right? We get busy. Um, when things turn my way, I celebrate my circumstances because I want to ride the wave of whatever good thing is happening in my life. How many of you would say that's me this morning as well, right? Things start going well. You just jump into that current and you go with it. What isn't natural for me, and I think for many of us, is to pause and express our desperate need of God to be at work in our life even when things are going well, especially when things are going well. To ask questions like, God, what do you want? How do you want me to take these next steps? God, what else do you have for me? How do you, you want me to, to seek you in this season? However, when things are, are turning south, are going south in our life, um, we're pretty quick to turn to God, right? When circumstances get dicey, we aren't asking God, how are you at work in my life as much as we're wondering, God, where are you in my life? Where are you in this? Why are you letting this, this thing happen to me? But when things go well, we're less inclined to ask God to examine our lives and to seek God in our lives. Maybe we get to the place where if things are going well, we're like, I don't want to jinx it, right? I don't want to mess it up. Maybe we just want to stay still and enjoy that moment. Maybe it's a little too easy for us to mistake our short-term good circumstance for actually rich and lasting and abundant life, but we don't want it to end. So the beauty of this song that David writes is that it reveals something to us about the secret of experiencing what God really has for us in our lives, the rich and satisfying life that emerges out of this constant watchfulness of how God is engaged in our life. So as we walk through David's song today, as we walk through Psalm 139, take note of David's hunger to be aware of God's goodness and David's desire to be aware of who God is and how he's at work in David's life. Psalm 139 verse 1 says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You know, the Hebrew word that David uses here for you search me, God, you know me, that word is yada, and we've talked about this before at daybreak, but this is a complete understanding, a full knowing of a person to see through the external and to really know the heart. Yada is this intimate, intimate, full-scale knowing of a person. And David says, God, you know me. God knows your inner motivations. God knows what you're about to say before you even say it. God knows what you think before you even know what you think. God knows what you think. And David has been watching God's work in his life, and he reminds us, God is always knowing. Now, I know grammatically we could have done something a little stronger here with this blank, but we really wanted to keep it this way on purpose. 
God is always knowing you. God is always knowing you. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of knowing makes me a little bit uncomfortable, right? God knows what I'm thinking at the grocery store when I'm in a hurry and the person in front of me pulls out a checkbook and a pile of coupons. God is always knowing me in that moment. He knows the colorful words that are forming in my mouth when for the hundredth time I've come up in my kitchen and hit my head on that open door of the cabinet that my kids left open. He is always knowing me. He knows all the things that I don't say but I want to say. He knows me intimately. And yet, here's the amazing part. David isn't bothered by the fact that God knows him this way. God's intimate knowing of the details in his life. And the truth is that David has some pretty ugly details in his life like you and I do. I want you to take that in for a minute. I don't know what your circumstances are like today. I don't know if things are going really, really well for you right now or if you feel like you're failing in life or you're facing some challenging things. But Jesus came so that we can have a full, rich, satisfying, abundant life. And maybe we need to realize a little bit more of what David discovered through his experience with God, something that Jesus had alluded to when we talked about this back in Matthew chapter 7, that God is good and he has good things for you. He loves you even in spite of all your shortcomings, in spite of knowing you deeply. He loves you. He's at work inviting you into this rich and satisfying life that you can only experience when you're willing to go into a deeper relationship with the God who knows you. David seemed to be convinced of that. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you convinced of that? Or are you missing out on a rich and satisfying life because you're living like God is not always present, like he's not always knowing in your life? You know, we all used to be better at this when we were kids. Remember when you were a kid and you knew when your parents were watching and when your parents weren't watching. But when you wanted them to watch something, what did you do when you were a kid? You ran to them, you're like, watch this, watch this, watch me. You know, it didn't matter if something you thought was fantastic, but in your parents' mind, it was really lame. But what did they do? They celebrated it with you. Watch this, mommy, I can do a cartwheel. And you do a half flop over onto the floor, stand up with your big finish, you know. They're cheering and, yeah, you can see it, you know, in a, in a kid's face, in a child's face. We've all said it. We still say it to our kids. Watch this. Right now, a um, little foster guy that we have, is, he's about 21 months old, and he's just starting to say some things really clearly. So he'll catch you off guard, and you'll give him something, and he'll say, thank you. You are welcome. It's... But one of the things that he can say now is, watch, watch. And so the other day, he came in, and he's got this thing where, I think in his mind, he can jump a mile high. But he'll say, watch, and he'll come in, and he'll lean his arm back, and he'll go, Mm, and he'll throw himself forward, you know, and, he'll, and his feet never leave the ground. They never leave the ground. But we cheer, and we clap for him, and we're excited. Well, way to go, T. You did it, buddy. That's a great jump, you know. And he's, he does it three or four more times. But every time before he does it, watch, watch. And so I started to think about how as my kids got older and my older kids, it's the same thing, just in a different season. You know, my son comes out and said, Dad, Watch how close I'm getting to touch the bottom of the net playing basketball. You go out there, and he's a good foot away. <laughs> he's like, see how close I was? You're getting there, buddy. You just keep working on it. You're going to get there. But then as they get older and they actually touch the net, and then I can remember my oldest son, hey, Dad, watch, I can grab rim now. And then eventually that one fateful day when he said, Dad, I can throw down. 
And he went out, he dunked the ball, and I said, son, I barely ever touched the rim, and now you are doing things that I will celebrate, but I have never experienced personally in my life. But they're so excited. What's the first thing they want you to do? Come watch me. Come watch me. And even as they're doing it, they're almost distracted because they're watching you watching them, right? They want to make sure you're watching. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this in, in my life? They're so, so excited that we saw them do it. Why did we get the same joy when our parents watched us as kids? Because we watched our parents watching us. Because it reminded us that they loved us. It reminded us that they celebrated with us, that they were the people who knew us well. They knew everything about us, and they still loved us. And don't we all still want that in our lives? Don't we want to feel and know God's love and goodness in our life, even though he knows us fully? We desire to know that God is watching us and that he approves. And this is what David is inviting us to still say. God, watch this. David enjoyed watching God watch him. He enjoyed it. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't embarrassed. He was like, God, I enjoy watching you watch me. You are everywhere. You're always present in my life. You're, you're always knowing me. Listen, if you watch for how God is at work in your life, you're going to be convinced of his love for you. You're going to become convinced of his goodness because you think if he still watches me and he still cheers me on in spite of me, God must really love me. You know, there's a story about a church father. His name was Ignatius. And he became famous for his hunger to be aware of God's work in his life and God's goodness in his life. And he wrote about it a lot. And his life work of becoming aware of what God was doing in his life was called by the Jesuit monks, they called it the exercises from which a spiritual practice emerged. And that spiritual practice is simply called examine. Ignatius wasn't always that way. He started out as a Spanish warrior, and then he had a life-threatening injury, and it caused him to take a break as he was healing. And in that time when he was healing, he paused, and he wanted to recognize and be aware of all that God wanted for his life. And so he never went back to being a warrior. As a matter of fact, he, he chose a monastic life that was centered on him being watchful of God's work so he could clearly come to know God's goodness and God's love. Now, you might not be thinking about joining a monastery uh, at any point, but I bet you could benefit from being more aware of how you have a good father that is lovingly at work in your life. You know, we're actually challenging people this week. If you're in a small group and you're in a home group, you'll, you'll get this challenge to take a moment and walk through that practice of examine and see how God is already engaged in your life. And this is a practice that you can do every day. You can do it once a week. I've been doing it consistently now and when I go away on these retreats and try to journal it at least once a week in my life. And be aware of God's presence in my life. Be aware of his work in my life. David's psalm reminds us that we're not alone in the universe, that we're not forgotten. In fact, that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And this truth su surprises me sometimes and maybe it will surprise you too. But maybe the God who created me knows what's good for me better than I do. Maybe the God who designed me understands what's ri what rich and satisfying and abundance looks like in my life better than I do. And here's the comforting reality that I've come back to many times in my life when I felt overwhelmed or when I felt misunderstood by someone. It's this, God fully understands me and he still loves me. He fully knows me and he still loves me. Do you hear that this morning? God is always knowing. He's always personally engaged. He knows everything about you, the worst parts of you, the parts you don't like, but he still loves you, and he still wants to work in your life. 
Watching for God's work helps us become convinced of his goodness and his love for us. And that has big implications in my life. My life is rich and satisfying every time I stop trying so hard to make my life rich and satisfying. Your life is rich and satisfying every time you stop trying so hard to make your life rich and satisfying and join God in the work that he's already doing in your life. When I try too too hard, my life isn't full. My life is just exhausting, and that's the truth. You know, Pastor Sean has this poster in his office, and it says this, In Christ, I have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, and nothing to lose. And often when I'm sitting in his office, I reflect on that. In Christ, I have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, and nothing to lose. And that is security in God knowing you. And what if we lived like that? What if we had that kind of confidence in Christ? I think David did in this next section of his song reminds me of that poster in Sean's office. In verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, God, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you, God. This is a beautiful reminder that God is always present. You know, even when you're about to flip out on your kids, God is there. He's waiting to guide you. When you're out on a date and you said yes to something that you should have said no to, God is there, offering his right hand to hold you fast. And that secret that's in your life that maybe you didn't want anybody to know that you've been hiding, God isn't surprised by it. And he wants to bring out of it, he wants to bring that secret out into the light so that you're not ashamed of it anymore. And even when light, life gets dark, it's not dark to God, David says. It might be dark to us, but it's not dark to God. Jesus reminds us that we have this good father who wants to give us good gifts. That's amazing. God is right there, and he's present with us in those moments. I don't know if you really know how true that is in this moment, but if you'll pause and consider how God is at work in your life this morning, I think that you're going to become aware of God's goodness for your life because the more watchful that you and I become of God's work in our lives, the more we can cooperate with him, and then we begin to experience God's love and his goodness in really practical ways. Why was David so confident in God's goodness? Why could he be so honest with God and yet so comfortable in the fact that God was always knowing him and God had this incredibly powerful presence in his life? Maybe it's because David was convinced of this truth, a truth that you and I need to be convinced of as well. And these are the next verses in David's song. He says this in verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Do you know that verse 17 there actually translate translates this way, how precious are your thoughts concerning me, God. Think about that. How precious to me are your thoughts concerning me. 
David writes. The God of love who knit us together knows our very most intimate thoughts and parts, and he still loves us completely. And David recognizes God's work, and he declares that God has been lovingly involved in his life from before he was even born. He said, God is always loving. God is always loving. And for David, that meant God is always loving me, and in his goodness, he desires a fulfilled life for me. You don't have to prove that you're worthy of God's love in your life. He's been at work in your life since before you were born, and he already loves you. You don't have to worry about doing something to lose his love. He loved you before you accomplished anything in life, and he's going to continue to love you. And that's comforting. My oldest son, Eric, was always quick to give me a hug. And to be honest, he kind of set the tone for me as it relates to this, especially publicly, because my dad didn't, I have a good relationship with my dad, but he didn't hug me a lot, and we didn't hug publicly. So that wasn't something I was really accustomed to. But my oldest son never seemed to mind doing that, even publicly. Whether I was dropping him off at school in the morning, he would always give me a hug and say goodbye wherever we were. And, you know, my, my second son is not comfortable with that at all. As a matter of fact, he'd prefer sometimes probably I not be seen in public with him. But this was something that came very natural for my oldest son. He was just, he taught me so much about expressing that love because he was, he was quick to want to hug me in front of friends. He was always quick to do that. So yesterday, um, my son, who now plays college basketball, I drove two and a half hours plus in the rain with two six-year-olds and a 20-month-old to find Delaware Valley University and to watch my 20-year-old son play a preseason game of basketball because afterwards, I wanted to be able to give him a hug and let him know that I still enjoy watching him do one of the things that God built him to do. It, it was important to me. It was important to me to take a day that could have just been easy more easily filled with other things and say, nope, I'm giving this day to make a drive and let my son know that I still enjoy watching him, that he can look up in the stands and know that his dad enjoys watching him. It's powerful when we think about God that way. Are you aware that your Father in Heaven loves watching you do what he built you to do? And he can't wait to express his love for you. He loves it. Do you really know that? God thinks the world of you. Can you receive that this morning? God thinks about you, your life, and your circumstance all of the time. He's always loving you. Always. And do you know that God wants to help you discover an abundant life no matter what your circumstances are or no matter how resistant you've been to partnering with the work that he wants to do in you? I believe that all starts by accepting this one truth, that God loves you dearly, that God is good. But maybe you're like David, and at times you're just a little bit unconvinced of that statement. As David decides to write the bridge of his song, as it's kind of getting ready to wrap up Psalm 139, things get a little bit dark for a few verses, okay? And this is what David writes. Think about the tone that we've had so far in this song that David has written and about the change that happens here in verse 19. Oh God, if you would only destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Does that sound familiar to you? Like for you parents, when you quietly pick up the phone and you need to make a call to someone and all of a sudden, 
The second you go to make that call, your kids start screaming and destroying the house, and you just needed a moment, then all of a sudden things go pretty dark for you, don't they? This first part of the poem, David's watching God's work in his life, and he's celebrating God's goodness. But the moment he takes his eyes off of God and off of his work, he gets discouraged, and his joy gets stolen. He says, the world is challenging, and the world is full of challenging people. Why is my life so hard, God? We've all been there. We have this great moment with God. We see how God is good. Maybe it's on a Sunday morning, and you lift your eyes towards God in worship, and you say, God, you always know me. You always love me. You're always present in my life. And then Monday comes, and life goes a little bit haywire, and our eyes drop, and they focus on the reality of our circumstances, and things get pretty dark for us pretty quickly. But listen to how David ends his song. His time with God makes a turn. And this is why I think David was known as a man after God's heart, because he always came back. Verse 23, but search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, God, see me. God, watch me, search me as I continue to keep my eyes on you, and you lead me in your ways. God, I will fully trust in your good work in my life despite my circumstances. God, you really do know me. You really are engaged in my life. I wouldn't have it any other way. And God, I give you full access to my life because only when I am fully aware of you, God, and your goodness can I live a rich and satisfying life. Would you bow your head with me this morning? I want to ask this morning, what if this was your prayer this morning? Search me, God. Know me. Watch my life fully. And lead me in your ways. Help me see how you're at work in my life, God. What if we followed the example of our kids and said, God, watch me and I'm going to watch that you are watching me. I want to keep my eyes fixed on you. God, that's our desire. It's our desire to know your goodness today. God, it's our desire to understand what a rich and satisfying and abundant life looks like, not our way, but for us to really experience it your way. Some of you this morning might be at a place where you're saying, I want to know what it means to discover and deepen a life-changing journey with Jesus. Maybe this morning some of you are at a place where you need to pray, Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness and for your grace. Maybe you need to pray, Jesus, I trust you to lead me, to lead my life. Maybe you want to pray this this morning, God, I want to surrender to you and I want to receive your gift of an abundant life this morning. Would you help me to know how you're at work in my life? God, I want to become aware and partner with that work you're already doing in my life. Today, God, we know that you're watching. We know that you know everything about us. We want to live like we have nothing to hide. God, we want to hear your affirmation of us as your children. We want to live like we've got nothing to prove. God, we want to feel your loving goodness in our life this morning. May we live, may we live like we've got nothing to fear. God, we want to know that you're always present in our life, no matter what. May we live, God, like we've got nothing to lose. Jesus, you said that we could have life to the fullest, and may we become convinced of your goodness by watching us 
watching you watch us. We love you, Lord. Amen.